All right. Now, uh, new knowledge and ongoing advances in uh, nutrition science mean the choices we make in our quest for uh, better health and well-being are always changing and evolving. At the start of every year, we tend to see predictions about emerging nutrition trends. And 2024 uh, is uh, no different. Taking us uh, to just before eight o'clock, we're going to be taking a closer look at six nutrition trends that are likely to become more more dominant, I guess, in uh, in this uh, this year. And we're joined for that conversation by uh, Elska Rich, who's a registered dietitian and a spokesperson for the Association of Dietetics in South Africa. Uh, Elska, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Good to have you with us. Good morning. It's a pleasure as always. Right. So uh, we've got six uh, six trends uh, to talk through, uh, and we'll just touch on each of them each of them briefly. The first one, uh, which is a really interesting one, because it seems like you can't uh, open a, a health magazine or uh, scroll through Instagram without hearing about the benefits of intermittent fasting. Um, now, it's if you do a little bit of reading up, you, you get that it's based. It's quite an old practice, isn't it? It's it's got quite sort of rooted in ancient practices. But recently we've seen a resurgence in popularity, people saying that it's been really beneficial, not just for weight loss, but also uh, just general health benefits. And well, you, you can explain, what, what do we mean when we say intermittent fasting? So intermittent fasting, like you say, has been around for quite a long while. And it basically involves periodic fasting from about 8 to 16 hours per day, meaning that you don't drink anything or eat food in the times that is not within those hours. So the main focus behind it is is that we want the body to use fat for energy and not the carbohydrates we get from food. Um, But we've seen that this has the same efficacy, you can say, comparable to other restriction methods. So it has some benefits, but there's also downfalls as with everything else. What would some of those, um, some, some more of those downfalls be? And, and also, uh, sorry, just going, going back to the, to the weight loss element, is it that it's good for everyone? Because what, what I have realised in, in my 43 years is that um, what might be good for me isn't necessarily good for Vicky, isn't necessarily good for Obi, isn't necessarily good for everybody else. So um, is it for everybody? And what would some of the, the, the downsides be? I think most definitely when it comes to nutrition and fueling your body, seeing a registered dietitian or making sure, like you say, that it's individualized to you is one of the most, most important things. So we know that intermittent fasting is beneficial for like maybe type 2 diabetes because it helps to control blood sugar level. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily reduce the risk for heart disease because one of the pitfalls is that you can still binge on unhealthy foods during this window. So the most important is that we look at overall consumption for the day. And if that is already at, you can say like below your energy needs. So if it's already at a decrease, which will lead to weight loss, whether you eat it between certain hours or whether you eat it throughout the whole day, it will still have the same effect on the body. So what's important to know is that we need to eat food that's going to fuel the body and not necessarily just eat food that's going to make us lose muscle mass because that is what tends to happen. People eat a lot less and then the body actually needs to use our muscles for energy and that can then lead to lower strength, lower stamina, um, but also then slowing down your metabolism, meaning that later in life, all the weight that you've now lost, you can gain back quite easily. 
Got you. Okay, so that's uh, that's intermittent fasting. Um, the next one, next trend we're looking at um, is exploring eating for mental health. We had Ominaidu on uh, a few weeks back talking about the benefits of uh, eating for mental health, um, which also sort of gets tied in with with gut health. Just talk to us yeah. about gut health and and the connection between um, our gut and our mental health. So what's quite interesting is um, studies over the last few years have pointed more and more towards the gut, meaning that your literal small intestine and your colon is the place where these happy hormones or most of our hormones are actually produced. So although the brain controls when it's released and how much is released, it's still produced in the gut, meaning that if we don't eat nutritious whole grain foods that feed the gut, feed these healthy bacteria, then we won't be making enough of these happy hormones, meaning that it's directly linked to mood. So if we are not eating as healthy as we should, we quite often see depression and anxiety taking a rise. I suppose that the, the point that you that you make also um, in in your piece here is that um, the, eating for mental health is is great. It's great to have a, a healthy diet and to be eating in mind that we you know we want to have good gut health. We want to be making good choices, but eating healthy isn't a substitute for seeking mental health support when you might need professional support right you can you can eat as as much broccoli as you like but if you've got an undiagnosed issue going on or you're dealing with some trauma or you're going through a difficult time um that's not going to help you deal with that any most definitely yeah most definitely i work a lot in mental health as well and we always need to take the road with the psychologist or the psychiatrist first to first get you to the point with medication most of the time and to then get to the point where you can make dietary changes. So it definitely goes hand in hand. If you're just joining us this morning at 7.45 on Weekend Breakfast, it's our regular wellness segment. And this morning uh, we're joined by dietitian Elska uh, Rich, who is talking to us about some of the nutrition trends that we're likely to see uh, over the next uh, over the next few months of 2024. Uh, So far, we've been taking a look at um, intermittent fasting, uh, demystifying intermittent fasting, also exploring uh, eating for mental health. The next one is an interesting one for me, um, Elska, because um, we always have this idea that processed foods, boo, hiss, bad, mustn't be doing those. But then last year, uh, new studies emerged to challenge the, the conventional wisdom of avoiding highly and ultra processed foods, suggesting that they might not actually pose uh, significant health risks. I know that the, uh, the, the um, nutritional world is sort of divided on this. What, what ought we to know about processed foods? Because uh, they often get labelled as the enemy and they're carcinogenic and all of this uh, terrible stuff. But how bad are they for us, really? So definitely within the last decade or so, there has been a widespread effort by most of these food manufacturers to reduce this amount of certain ingredients like too much sugar, too much salt, all things which are added and are not necessarily necessary. Um, And for that reason, there is now this new um, debate around processed foods and how they can also be included in a healthy diet. But like you are saying, we're still on the fence about this one. So I think it's very product specific and we need to be looking at the um, nutrition content table to see if the food is too energy dense, if there's too many artificial additives or preservatives, because that is where our concern lies. 
So because of all these additives, it then takes the space of essential nutrients or fiber that could be in the food. And for that reason, right now, we are still promoting whole foods over processed foods. I wonder if, um, and I was listening to an interview yesterday on our sister station on 702 where a dietitian was talking about the everything in moderation. Um, and I, and I mm-hmm. often think, you know, I'm, I'm a mum of, of small people and, and my little one goes to creche and I have to send her every day. Um, and they're very strict at the creche, which I'm glad they are, about what we can send in, in, the, in the snack box. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, as a, as a working mum of two smalls, there is a, you just kind of are running around the supermarket and you just want to grab those little triangular processed cheeses and then you know you go oh gosh but maybe they shouldn't have that and maybe I should be going to buy this you know lovely organic extra mature cheddar and giving them little cubes of that um presumably the everything in moderation thing still stands in that if the bulk of her snack box is you know whole foods and and fruit and fresh fruit and vegetables a little triangular piece of processed cheese isn't going to be too harmful is it Oxa? <laughs> Most definitely, Jana. You're summing it up correctly. So at the end of the day, it's still a good source of protein and of calcium and things like that, um, which overpowers the processed side of it in a sense. So it's like I said, looking at everything individually, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you put Viennas in her lunchbox every day, but a cube of cheese is not going to make the difference. Okay, thank goodness, thank goodness. Uh, Elska Rich (laughs) is uh, is a dietitian uh, and joining us this morning to talk about some of the the more prevalent nutrition trends that we're likely to see uh, this year. Um, Moving from uh, processed foods into plant-based eating, and there's a little bit of a crossover there, um, let's talk about plant-based eating. Not everybody fully understands, and I don't think I did either, what it means. It's not its not um, vegetarianism. It's not veganism. Um, what does it actually mean, plant-based eating? So the main focus comes from just trying to include more food that is from plants with every meal. So when it comes to this type of trend, it's very important to note that, like you say, it doesn't mean excluding other food groups. The focus here is definitely still on eating from all the food groups, but trying with every meal that almost half of your plate is fruits or vegetables or, like we say, plants. So that includes healthy fats like nuts and seeds and things like that because they also come from plants. Tell me something. I've noticed uh, recently that a lot of fast food outlets um, have started adding uh, plant-based options to their menus. Um, Traditionally, we wouldn't think about uh, about going to a fast food uh, joint as uh, necessarily being a healthy way of eating. Um, What do you make of of the plant-based items at fast food outlets? Thumbs up, thumbs down. I assume that the way in which those plant-based foods are cooked has a large part to do with it, does it? Most definitely. So at most of the fast food chains, um, lots of times, even though it's a plant-based patty, it means that most of the time about 50% of that patty is potato, um, which definitely does count as a vegetable in some sense, but it's also a very starch-rich vegetable, meaning that it's still quite high in unnecessary refined energy. And the way they cook it, like you say, the type of oils they use is still going to be unhealthy. So it depends, once again, where you are getting it from. There are lots of beautiful places these days with 
healthy plant-based options that are cooked well, um, steamed even instead of using oil, things like that. So I think we still need to be cautious, like we say, because even if it is a plant-based meal or if it's a like meat alternative, it can still be highly processed. Yeah, okay, understood, understood. Uh, Trend number five, uh, Elska, is uh, approaching routine probiotic supplementation with caution. Now, uh, we just spoke about gut health and last year uh, there was an intense focus on gut health across uh, social media uh, channels. You would see uh, folks on TikTok calling themselves gut health gurus and they would get lots of uh, followers for um, often quite dubious advice on treating uh, gastrointestinal issues with uh, everything from sort of green juices to to olive oil and and talking about probiotics for wellness. What's the truth of the matter when it comes to uh, probiotic supplementation? So probiotics definitely have a place because they can improve gut health, like we said. Also, they have a new link to mental well-being, obviously, because they help the healthy gut bacteria grow. Like we said, they help with the happy hormones. And then it also helps to improve your immune system response, which I think is a big trend after COVID-19 hit. Um, But it's important once again, like we've been saying, everything in moderation. So we don't necessarily know yet what is the long-term effect of this probiotic overuse. But like with everything, if it's too much of the good bacteria, it can also turn bad. Um, so it is normally prescribed after you've used antibiotics or something like that because we know that antibiotics kills all the gut hormones, with a gut microbiome, whether it's good or bad bacteria. So probiotics then help to put back the good ones. And that's definitely necessary because it can then help with things like constipation and stuff like that. But overconsumption, there are some side effects which are like uncomfortable bloating or nausea. But like I say, we don't know the long-term side effects yet. So once again, caution must be applied. If we wanted to look to um, foods that are readily available rather than going out and spending an awful lot of money on uh, probiotics, what what sort of foods are we talking about that that, um, are good for our gut? So yogurt is definitely the one that I would say that most people are consuming. Also buttermilk or kefir or sauerkraut. Um, sometimes we can have kimchi, which you know is from Korean food, or like miso or kombucha is also another popular one. Um, and then some cheeses contain probiotics, but I get most of my probiotics from yogurt. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the final trend, uh, trend number six, is incorporating healthy snacking. Now, if you had gone to a dietitian maybe 20 years ago, there would have been a conversation which was just three meals a day uh, and nothing in between. But um, there is a place for healthy snacking, right? Most definitely. So over the years, there's definitely been a trend that shifts away from just the three meals a day and making sure that we have more frequent, smaller, nutritious nutritious snacks. So that just means that the metabolism is stimulated throughout the day. It helps with blood glucose control and it can even go as far as to help with constipation and weight loss. It's been an absolute treat to have you on the show uh, this morning, uh, Elska. Thank you very much indeed for talking us uh, through uh, those uh, those nutrition trends that we're likely to see and setting a few, th- a few things straight for us as well. Uh, Elska Rich is uh, a dietitian and also the spokesperson uh, for uh, ADSA, which is the Association of Dietetics in South Africa.